Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Idiom Brewing Company in Frederick, Maryland. Hi everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands, and today I am joined by Alfred Rotemi, and in a little bit, his sister Jamie will be joining us. They are the co-founders of Joyhound Beer Company. We previously recorded an episode, it was a little while ago, or some exciting updates and some exciting things on the horizon that we're going to talk about and go over. So first, thanks for uh, coming on again, Alfred. Um, yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Yes, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having us on. Um, really like Frederick, really like the community. Want to be able to talk to everyone and tell them what we're doing. So let's, um, for anyone who may have uh, missed the last episode or anyone that's a new listener, let's just give uh, a, a rundown of uh, who you are and uh, what Joyhound is. So Joyhound is a premium craft beer brand based out of Baltimore, Maryland. I, Alfred Rotemi, am the founder. I founded this with the support and help of my family. Uh, so currently the oh, we get my recipes produced under contract. I do all the recipe testing. I've been a home brewer, home brewer for about 10 years now. Um, we distribute throughout Maryland and uh, D.C. And uh, you're, uh, if I remember correctly, your family's pretty involved in the Joyhound brand, right? In some aspect, one way or another, even just as a cheerleader for you. Um, yes, for the support, uh, definitely on the on the back side, on the operations side, uh, my family is really heavily involved. Uh, whenever we have a new project coming up or we have, um, you know, some major decisions to be making, that's definitely done as a team. Um, but on the day-to-day basis, you know, it's really me as a one-man show. I do the logistics, I do the marketing, I do the selling, I do the delivery by myself. But it's definitely a family company. And you're, you're dedicated to Joyhound full-time, correctly? Yes. Correct, I mean? <laughs> yes. Um, so how, how did you get into um, to homebrewing? Um, so when I was a senior in college, I actually saw one of my friends doing a Mr. Beer Porter kit, and it was just the coolest thing in the world to me, um, being able to you know combine science, um, technology, creativity, a little bit of culinary expression, all that. And then you get beer at the end, like, <laughs> you know, what could who be wouldn't better? be excited about yeah. that? But yeah, it just was, it was just a natural fit for me because uh, I, uh, my background's in science. I studied, you know, biochemistry, neuroscience and psychology also. Um, and like I was previously saying, I, I really have a huge culinary streak to me. I've been cooking my whole life or think it's the way in which I express myself artistically the best. So, um, you know, combining those uh, desires with the fact that I really wanted to be my own boss to start my own company. So um, that's how I got into brewing and then to starting Joyhound Beer Company. So what made you decide to go into the beer world mm-hmm. instead of, sorry, I just kicked you, I think. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, instead of going into uh the lucrative fields that you studied in college? Um, just when you get out into the world, it's, it's different than when you're studying in college, you know, subject. And, and you know, after a few years of doing research science, it, it made me, you know, my respect for the people who do that has increased tremendously. And I always have a huge amount of respect for the field and everything, but it just wasn't the lifestyle for me. 
it, it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't fulfilling the things I thought it was going to before I went into it. And, um, you know, I really just figured I need to take a different path in life. So passion. Yeah. Really? Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think that's good because there, I think there's a very clear difference between uh, breweries that have been founded by people who just thought it was a way to make money as opposed to people who are, were really passionate about brewing beer, making beer, and building a community around a brewery. Yeah, I, I believe that also, you know, beer has to be fun. And you know, when someone is having fun brewing, presenting new beers, you know, that reaction they get when someone tastes it and tells them this is great and it makes them feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Yeah. That's what I get. You know, that's that's what I want to portray. That's what I want everyone to see. That's one of the reasons why we picked the name Joyhound. We hope it's a fun name that's light and playful and everyone remembers, you know, this is craft beer. It's supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be super serious or anything like that. So is there a, a dog in specifically that was uh, inspiration for for the brewery name or was it just like the what you had just said was the origin of it? Um, so that was the origin of the name. Uh, so there's no specific dog that's like the logo for Joyhound. It's, it's a Border Collie logo with a snifter glass. Um, if you are interested in seeing our dogs, you can check out our tail wagger beer. Our, our our Pitbulls, uh, Stella and Bailey, are on the label of that beer. Okay. Yeah, I think that one's new from the last time I talked to you. Is that is that right? Um, is it's, that, it's, or at least you, I don't think you had Tailwagger with you. I think I think it came out um, right after we did the previous interview. Who does your label art? It's uh, Sebastian Sandcooler. He's an artist from Baltimore. Okay. Does he do all of your labels? Yes. Or do you rotate? He does all of our labels. Okay. Um, our logo was done by Sarah Marks, who is an artist from DC. Yeah, I um, I don't know how I never noticed that the dog was a a, a beer glass before <laughs> you pointed it out last time, but now it like jumps out at you as a <laughs> just a cool little design uh, part, a little little cool part of the design of the logo. I like that. Um, so. How um, how has the business been going? What what has changed for you since we last talked? Um, you know, reception's been great. Uh, we've increased our footprint. We're in um, since the last time we talked, we're in total wine now. So oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. a big a big deal. <laughs> so are you in all locations? Yeah, both they? locations in Maryland. That's awesome. Thank you. So are you still uh, Maryland exclusive, or have you moved? Like, Started distributing in any of the neighboring states. I mean, you'll you'll see our stuff in D.C. from okay. time to time, but uh, beyond that, it's Maryland. Yeah, it's a, that's enough of a commitment. To, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to manage, especially as one person right now. Yeah. Well, congratulations for getting into Total Wine. That that probably gave you a nice little bump in exposure and sales. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, and chances are, you've probably seen. Alfred someplace because he's always out there grinding, doing tastings at uh, at beer stores all over the place. Um, is that uh, is that I guess that's I mean, until you have a tap room, that's mm-hmm. really the main way you can introduce your brand to people. So uh, 
how often are you out in the market doing tastings? So I'm doing tastings every Friday and every Saturday. Okay. So a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's uh that that's gotta keep you pretty busy. Well, because like it's not just showing up for those few yeah. hours to. So is um do you have a warehouse somewhere or is it all warehoused by your contract brewer? Um, we have our own location. Um, we uh, pick up the stuff and then take it to our spot and then distribute from there. Are you uh do you self distribute? Yes, or... self distributing. Okay. Uh, do you have, do you, do you plan on changing that or are you, do you think um, you'll be able to stick to that even once you've n- opened no, your own No, plan location? to stick to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Keep all the money for yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so what, how, how many different beers are you offering now? So right now we have three products available. We've got the tail wagger golden ale. That's the one that features our dog Stella and Bailey on the label. Super crisp, super refreshing, cold fermented to help it be, you know, more easy drinking, just a wonderful beer. Uh, we've also got Foggy Chesapeake. That's our best seller. That's got the snow goose uh, flying over the Bay Bridge, well, the Chesapeake Bay underneath. It's got tangerine, lime, lemon, a little bit of Indian coriander. Very smooth, very citrusy, very juicy, uh, very smooth, especially for a double IPA. And the third beer that we have available right now is our newest beer, Plum Power Sour. It's a uh, Got lightning on the label. It's really cool looking. It's a sour ale fermented with a plum puree. It's just very tart, very bright. Nice, gentle plum flavor from the puree. It's a catching label also. Thank you. Um, so with, uh, with your contract brewing, do you... Do you get involved in the physical aspect of the brewing at all, or do you just hand over the recipe to that team and they're they're doing all the brewing? Um, So I know different places kind of operate differently. Yeah, from that aspect. For our situation, you know, uh, I I do the recipes on my home equipment first, and I have a full setup to produce beer, very high quality at home. Um, Then. I work to adapt the recipe with Oliver Brewing Company, um, but at that point they take over production okay. entirely. Yeah, I didn't know. I, I I'd never asked anyone if they want the people that they contract mm-hmm. brew with there, like actually brewing also. Or yeah, I mean, they just take over because I know that I'm pretty sure there's some of the places that do some contract brewing that they want um the brewer from that brewery there also yeah there's a variety of ways to do it everyone has their own mix so when um you mentioned mr beer mm-hmm. it was that your first homebrew with your with, uh, with a mr beer kit or did you go straight to yeah, something so uh, after my friend did the porter kit i picked up an english pale ale mr beer kit from maryland homebrew okay and um you know it really grew from there there are definitely several uh, Maryland breweries that got their start from uh, Maryland homebrew <laughs> supplies. It's a great store. So how long uh, how long were you doing Mr. Beer kits until you graduated to something a little more serious? Um, I want to say, let me think, because I started in 2013. Um, must have been within like a, a year, a year or two, because I've had an all grain setup for a while, but. I graduated beyond that, got my own grain mill, started messing around. Oh, with, you went all in. <laughs> yeah, started messing around with doing, you know, my own, uh, 
uh, you know, uh, growing my own yeast and um, scaling it up. And I, I went from... I would at first be shocked by that, but then like I quickly <laughs> remembered, well, actually you have a background in biochem and yeah. everything. It's, and a, it's a lot of familiar <laughs> stuff. Has the, Do you feel like that's helped you a lot uh, in the world, like a lot of applicable knowledge in the brewing realm with that? Because... Oh, yeah, I just did an episode with uh, uh, Checker Spot and Judy mm-hmm. has a PhD in, uh, I can't remember specifically, but she did virology mm-hmm. and like, biochem and stuff. And she said that, that that definitely has been applicable to her role as, as a brewer and helped a lot. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, one of the comments that we've gotten in our beer, something that we're uh, introducing more into our um, you know, stories that the fact that people say our recipes are magic backed by science. And <laughs> that's uh, a good, uh, that's a good catchphrase. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> you had to definitely keep on to that one. Yeah. When someone says something like that, but um, absolutely, you know, brewing is, is a scientific endeavor at its heart. You know, microbiology started from Louis Pasteur brewing at Carlsberg brewing in, in Denmark. Uh, my, my, you know, knowledge, technical skill of, how to produce something which is reliable, consistent, understanding how certain reactions are going to affect your product downstream. All of that is heavily informed by my history of working in biochemistry. And um, additionally, my ability to understand, I really think, you know, the sensory perception of a final product is influenced by my study of psychology and neuroscience and understanding, you know, Sometimes it's not always best to, you know, turn the dial up to 11 on this. Maybe you want to do it more subtly, make the flavors more harmonious, make the aroma more desirable this way by just, you know, having a good understanding of not just from how you get from A to B, but how you get from B to C and maintain, you know, the goals that you want along the whole way. So your motto, craft beer for nerds by nerds, is not just lip service, is it, what you're it, saying. It's not. We're all huge <laughs> nerds. Um, you know, everyone in my family is uh, in the STEM. Um, okay. Both my parents have PhDs, so we're super bookworms. <laughs> <laughs> what What are the, What are their PhDs in? Um, my mom is uh, information security, and my dad does genetic epidemiology. You know, studying how ge- genetics affect disease and populations on like a on like a population level. So you're a bunch of really smart people is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yes. That's, yeah. Yeah. We're all really smart. <laughs> what? So what, at first though, when you went to your parents and said, I'm going to give up on this whole idea of uh, following in your footsteps <laughs> of, uh, because uh, you don't have a PhD, right? No. Because uh, uh, I'm sure the your original plan when you started was to get a PhD yep. in everything. So what what was your parents' reaction when you told them that you no longer wanted to pursue a degree or a career in STEM and you wanted to brew beer? Um, I mean, of course, there was you know excitement, but also concern. Yeah. <laughs> um, really, just you know, like like. Like we understand that this is something that you're really passionate about and something that you've displayed, you know, skill and aptitude for. But at the same time, you know, you know what is going on? Like, what is what is this, <laughs> this endeavor that you're trying plan. to do? Yeah. But you know, um, just a, a few conversations, some planning, yeah. presenting a business plan. Eventually, you know, we were able. I was able to, you know, get their support. Everyone really rallied around me and. 
it's been a great um, endeavor, and we're here where we are right now. I mean, I would think that the um, the passion and the dedication that you showed early on through the progression of your home brewing probably helped ease their minds a little bit. Like you, you weren't making a snap decision like one day where you decided, ah, I'm just going to get into beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, definitely not one of those people, like you said, who just thought it was a way to make money or something like that. Brewing is really important to me. Um, not just for, you know, the reasons that it, it hits those, uh, those, I guess those desires or those needs that I want for expressing myself in terms of science and art and biochemistry and all those things, but just like the final product, the culture of beer, um, you know, the experience of it, both, um, you know, from making it and socially enjoying it with people. These are all things which I'm incredibly passionate for. And I think that it really shows, um, you know, not just, um, you know, not just through the products, but also through the way I've uh, presented the, pro- uh, the Joyhound Beer Company to people. So, I really do think that that did play a big process in them, you know, understanding that this is something that, you know, I was really going to push for something that we really need to, you know, take a stab at. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think any, any parent when they see their child super passionate about something, no matter how much they may be disappointed in the idea of you not going down a path that, mm-hmm. uh, was what they expected one are are going to support their kid because I, I like every time my daughter gets like you can just see her eyes light up when she's talking about something she really cares about it yeah. you know like deep down like that just makes you feel good so I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of that from their standpoint even though you you destroyed the family legacy <laughs> of <laughs> 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 Uh, I'll try to add to the legacy, not tear it down. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's it's not like being an entre- entrepreneur is a uh, is not a noble endeavor. Uh, so, is that what um, what made you want to go the route of opening your own brewery instead of getting into brewing and brewing for someone else? Um, I. I really saw the business opportunity that was available and I had a desire to create something that was unique to me that would have an impact on the world, a positive impact. And I really wanted to be able to look at it and say, this is something that I pulled out of my head and brought into the real world just because that's like the coolest thing in the the world to me, just to take an idea and forge it into something and then have it impact other people and other people are down with it. They're enjoying it. You're getting rewards from that in terms of, you know, the financial reward of a successful business and also the reputational reward from, you know, having a good connection with the community, having a good connection with your customers, doing what you can to uplift um, the area around you and also create a great experience for people. And these are all things that I could only achieve if I had something that was of my own. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the biggest drivers for me to creating Joy Hound Beer Company. How, when did the brand launch? So the, like we started trading in 2019, um, uh, August, you know, right before COVID. And we were draft yeah, good only. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we've been growing from there. Um. Did uh, did COVID kind of um, slow your timeline? Do you think of when 
of opening a physical location or do you think you're pretty much still on the same track you would have been even with it if COVID hadn't have happened? I mean, it, it's hard to know because um, for for one, we, as I just said, we were draft only and that made it impossible for us to sell our products that we had at the time. So obviously that was a nightmare and we had to pivot into doing cans um, that involved flying it out. Uh, you know, finding a different supplier, um, different manufacturer from the one we worked with originally. But at the same time, um, you know, COVID, not as unfortunate as it was, it did create some opportunities for new people to get into the space. And so, um, you know, uh, draft sales went away, but can sales are really high. People were really interested in exploring new stuff. People had a lot of time, um, Honestly, and people drank a lot yeah. during those two years. <laughs> they did. And so it, it, it's really hard to know. Um, it's, it's, yeah, I guess it's it, it could be possible that it was a benefit to you from the, the aspect of it. Like it definitely pushed it pushed a lot of people to uh, beer stores and to yep. try new things. And if you're there yep. showing people like this new beer and like, well, I'd, I'd like to try that. And. Yeah, absolutely. There was there was definitely a lot of excitement around beer at that time. Have you have you seen a waning in that for yourself personally, or have you still been able to keep the interest and excitement going? Because it's definitely the last year has been kind of weird for a lot of breweries and for the craft beer industry in general. Um, I mean. There's definitely growing challenges, um, especially in distribution. Right now, we're pretty much an only distribution, a distribution only brand. Um, there's been increasing competition in, I guess, other aspects of the market. Things like um, fermented malt beverages, and we all seen the explosion of seltzers and ready to drink cocktails. So I, I think that you know the the exclusive exclusivity that craft brewers had especially if we're talking about liquor store shelf space yeah. there's been a there's been a huge uh crunch on that um but in terms of like you know the ability for people to enjoy sp uh, sp special brews and you know not just in general but for our brand specifically it, it's it's only been increasing over time you know we have more fans than we had before we have more people who are following us on Instagram, following us on Facebook, and, you know, really excited to see what our next product is. So despite those challenges, you know, Joyhound Beer Company has um, kept increasing in popularity and increasing overall. That's good to hear. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, let's take a real quick uh, advertising break. And when we come back, <clears throat> we can dive into, uh, I guess, the beginning of the next chapter of Joyhound and about the crowdfunding campaign and your plans for a taproom. Yep. So we'll be right back. <clears throat> Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts, Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, or one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. 
Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. All right, we're back, and now we are joined by Jamie, and we're going to get into the exciting news that Joyhound has and what they, what the the crowdfunding campaign they currently have going. Uh, we'll get a little bit more into their story and what Joyhound stands for and uh, plans for the tap room. So let's uh, get get back into it. Um, yeah, so uh, we have some really exciting news. We are currently running a crowdfunding campaign to build our own tap room in the Baltimore, D.C. area. We've already raised over $75,000 towards our goal. Um, so what we're trying to do is we're trying to uh, build a tap room where we can serve our products directly to our fans, to the local community, have great events, and you know just really grow Joyhound from there. We want to sell people. We want to be able to sell people beer by the glass. We want to be able to sell crawlers to go. Also, you can take uh, package products of our beer to go, and we're just going to have an amazing space that is going to be, um, you know, promoting beer in a great way while also really tying into the community. Of course, we want it to be dog friendly. We're Joyhound, and um, the apparatus that we're doing that is a crowdfunded loan. It's a regulation crowdfunding event, and um, I'll leave it to my sister to explain that some more. All right, thanks. Yes. Oh, yes. Go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah, so what is regulation crowdfunding? Um, so one of the ways that I, I like to explain it to people, because it's obviously not like common knowledge, is basically it's an opportunity for small businesses to really um, kind of have more control over how they bring in equity um, or build out their business versus having to go through like large banks, the big banks, you know, and it, that is, that occurs through um, basically anyone over the age of 18 being able to invest in a startup. So we have to be associated with a um, licensed funding portal. So our funding portal is mainvest.com. And so they handle all of the financial aspects. Thank goodness, because we are not CPAs. Um, Please do not ask me to do your taxes. Um, But uh, basically, they um, help us set up a site. They they, um, vet us. So we had to go through, we had to provide all of our financials, all of that kind of stuff. So to prove that you're a legitimate business and not someone that's just uh, trying to grift. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, If I can make, yeah, specifically they did bad actor checks on us. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's SEC regulated. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, Exactly. They want to make sure that you're a real company, that you've really been in existence. And so um, in the end, you have to, uh, you know, have a full business plan about how you're going to use the funds. And so uh, instead of being an accredited investor, it's actually open, like I said, to anyone over the age of 18. Um, Our minimum investment amount is only $100. Um, and it is an investment, right? It's not a GoFundMe, right? It's not charity. It's not a donation. Uh, over the course of uh, seven years, we will repay the loan that is um, promulgated through uh, the investments that we receive. So um, there's a set interest rate that we pay based off of um, the 
the terms of our uh, campaign, which you can find on mainvest.com. And we basically pay that quarterly to investors once the campaign closes and once we start making uh, uh, the first quarter after which we make revenue. So Mainvest takes care of all of that um, and they will give you all of your tax information, all of that on an annual basis. But the really cool thing is that like once the campaign closes, uh, investors can feel uh, or will start to receive, you know, those payments um, fairly quickly. Um, and of course, as since it's a revenue sharing note, which I don't think I mentioned before, meaning that it's based on the amount of revenue that we um, that we bring in uh, during that quarter. And that's what that so this the interest the, sorry, the percentage of payback stays the same, but of course the idea is that our revenue grows. So you can imagine for a small business, that's optimal, right? Versus a yeah. bank loan where, where no matter what you, you're paying the same. Exactly. Amount. Okay. Exactly. And so that's why I say, I think it's a wonderful opportunity to open up bit the business world to anyone instead of it being millionaires all of the time. <laughs> so so the, this route is like much closer than to like if you were just going around to traditional investment groups looking for funding. Exactly. Like the same sort of mechanism, except this is a platform that allows anyone to be involved instead of someone who's already an established angel investor or yes. Um, yes. a professional capital invest yes. investment firm. I mean, this process has been, I mean, it, it, it goes with the, you know, the idea that we have for our business really is accessibility, right? So we, we just jumped on this because it was wonderful. We love the idea of our own community investing in us and believing in us because if people invest in you, they're going to come, right? Yeah. They're going to support the thing that they invested in. So, you know, it, it works both ways. Um, and we really want to be very community focused. So, you know, this is the start of that. It really afforded us an opportunity to kind of, you know, set the tone from the beginning. Um, the other thing is just that, you know, I, I work in compliance. So I love the fact that it is regulated. You know, it is regulated by the SEC, as Alfred mentioned. Um, and so people are, you know, pro- are provided with the information to make, you know, sound decisions. Um, and I don't know, I just think it's just a really, really cool, um, uh, concept. And, you know, with the pandemic, the SEC, like really even broadened the availability of this, of this kind of, a um, setup for small businesses. Yeah. Cause previously like the, it was much more restrictive on who you could take investments from, right? Yes. I mean, have you ever looked at the requirements to be a traditional investor? No, but I, I like I've listened to um, other things like where where they like talk about like describing like how uh, disruptive Robinhood was to uh, traditional investing and yeah. opening it to retail investors and yep. um, so I, I would assume there's an, a lot of analogies between like what Robinhood has done to that type of investing for what something like Mainvest has done for uh, investing in directly into startups. Yeah. And especially when you think about it being more like it can be, you know, anyone in the U S or I'm not sure if internationally you can invest, but 
um, anyone can invest, but I just think it's so cool that, you know, you can kind of really build it within your community. So you're, you're seeing that impact really directly. Um, but to be an accredited investor, you had to have made $200,000 for the past two years and have about a million dollars in assets. That's it? Oh yeah. Just, you know, <laughs> everybody has that, right? So that's why I was like, this is amazing. You know, they're really like people are really making moves to make wealth more accessible in this country. You know, I remember back in the day with the one percent, you know, all of those (laughs) protests. So I think, you know, despite what it seems like, sometimes we are making a lot of progress in that way. Yeah, I yeah, because to your point, like the until what, maybe five years ago unless you were already rich, you really didn't have other than contributing to your 401k or, <laughs> or buying a Roth IRA. There, yeah. there weren't a whole lot of options for you to easily uh, get into investing, especially not directly into uh, a startup. Um, what, what made you decide to go this route instead of like, maybe a more more well-known one such as Kickstarter or Indiegogo? Well, Kickstarter, I'm, I'm not familiar with Indiegogo. It's but, a basically the same exact thing okay. as Kickstarter, just I don't, it doesn't uh, have the name recognition quite as much as Kickstarter, I think. Yeah, that's also a really interesting part of that whole process, right, is the name recognition yeah. piece. Um, so Kickstarter is, is, is a wonderful platform from what I understand, but it's very different actually. It's a different set of regulations, um, that they fall under. And basically with Kickstarter, you are investing directly in like a singular product, right? Yes. Um, and you might receive, I mean, there's definitely, there's breweries that have gotten their start from, but I think, I think like businesses, and actually, the the shakeup that Kickstarter did a few years ago, because mm-hmm. so many funded projects weren't delivering what people invested in, so they kind of tightened the belt a little bit of what they were allowing. Oh, mm-hmm. That may uh, just investing in a business actually may not be possible on Kickstarter anymore. Oh, but there have there are breweries that have gotten their start on um, Kickstarter, but I. I don't think they're ex- as successful as like when someone is offering a physical product that you're mm-hmm. um, that you're trying to raise money to produce. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I think the other thing with Kickstarter is that it's not really, um, per my understanding, it's not really an investment in the sense of uh, like traditional investing. Whereas with us, you're going to get a, a return on your yeah. money, right? Um, with it, Kickstarter, my understanding is that you may get like a discount on the product or you get the product itself. Yeah, that's a, right. I mean, you can make a donation or you're mm-hmm. buying usually at a discount if you've backed it early mm-hmm. enough. Yeah. To- and, 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 you know, with us, uh, you're going to get a, a return on your money, right, with the investment. But also we have perks, which is really cool. So uh, one of the things that was really important to us, because, again, community accessibility, all of those things, uh, we're going to create a founder's wall. Okay. So anyone, even if you do the minimum investment of $100, Anyone who invests in us is going up on that founder's wall, unless you decline. Of course, yeah. you can. Um, uh, but we really wanted to honor anyone who was 
uh, you know, there with us and, and had faith in us from the beginning. Um, so that's the that's the one that applies to everyone. If you contribute $2,000, you will be a part of our um, JBC Members Club. It's beer the Beer Club. Club. Beer Club. <laughs> Which comes with some discounts for uh, product and future events. Okay, mm-hmm. And then we have a mug club, which we're super excited about, where you'll get uh, an exclusive mug that will be kept in the tap room so that every time you come in, we pass you your first beverage um, uh, on us. And uh, both of those will last uh, gratis for two years as a part of your investment. Um, and the mug club, uh, it, the uh, threshold is 5000 Okay. Yep. I don't I don't understand any brewery that doesn't have some sort of mug club or membership. I think it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean it, it it it's beneficial from so many aspects. Not like it it's beneficial almost always to the consumer cuz yeah. there's usually a pretty decent like if you take care of if you take advantage of all the things that are offered from joining the membership that you're there's a net savings mm-hmm. but then just from like ben, the brewery itself benefits so much from it also from having like, uh, encouraging devoted customers and like yes yeah, so yeah it's it, smart it, it really <laughs> is something that's symbiotic because yeah. like you said you know um, if we have these fans out here who are coming to our place and you know regularly we want to we want to encourage that we want to support that we want to give them some perks for being so loyal and so great to us and at the same time they want perks <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's a win-win exactly yeah and yeah it, i think it's really um you know one of the things i told alfred is i was like and you know he may not be totally on board with this still because I'm just kidding. Um, but I was like, you know, let's let's look at the wineries, not just what breweries are doing, right? I mean, they're smart in the way that they – I mean, a lot of times if you go to a vineyard or a winery, if you actually really pay attention, it's it's very rudimentary setup, but they make it feel special. And I think that's really, you know, what we want to do is, like, kind of just have this space where people feel special and seen. Um you know, I think that's really our goal with our with our tap room and, and having those clubs um, and having you know JBC events and uh, obviously with Joyhound, they will likely involve dogs. So if you love dogs, definitely come on over. Is Main Vest focused towards the the hospitality industries in general? So my understanding, I don't think that I they. Because I, I don't know if this is like targeted mm-hmm. <laughs> or if it's their main one. But if you go, like, if I go to mainvest.com and click investment opportunities in the search, it says try searching brewery. <laughs> so I, don't, I don't know if they're using targeted. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, we don't yeah. know. There, there's definitely a lot of breweries and hospitality okay. businesses on there. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's definitely very common. And you are under the crowd favorites section right there on the front page page yeah uh but i would just uh the easiest ways to find the um the campaign or to go to joy hounds uh social media they have links both on facebook and instagram to it or and if you go to website mm-hmm. and if you go to mainvest.com you can search uh joy hound and it takes you directly to it yeah, we, we would definitely encourage you to go through our social media and our web page so you can also, 
you know, see our events that are going on and, and learn a little bit more about us. But we have a lot of information actually up on the mainvest.com page as well. So the your goal is set at where is that at two hundred two hundred and five thousand. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the minimum actually. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what happens in the very unlikely uh scenario if that if you don't reach that threshold? That it? that minimum threshold. Yeah. So we have the opportunity to um extend the campaign. Okay. Um obviously that's not the preference. Yeah. Um, but even if we hit that minimum, if it makes the most sense for us and if we feel like we're still have some momentum, we can extend to try to meet our maximum as well. Okay. Um, it's, you know, there's obviously paperwork that's involved. You have to refile, you know, with the, um, regula- regulatory agencies and things like that. But, because um, yeah, it is actual real yeah. <laughs> investing. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and that's the other thing is like, I think sometimes people are surprised when they, they set up their accounts because they're like, I just thought I would be able to just like Venmo. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, you know, that would be wonderful, except for that they don't have any control over Venmo. So, you know, you want it to be legitimate because they're going to be, you know, uh, transferring your money to you. You know, that's how you get your payments. That's how you get your statements. You want them to be legitimate. So they use all of the same um, security, you know, kind of setups as like banks when you um, and other uh, financial uh, websites and things like that. So. Um, it's all legitimate. It'll probably take about two days before you can actually invest okay. because you have to do the verification when you um, uh, set up your banking information. Yeah, should throw your Venmo up on Instagram too, though, <laughs> for anyone who just wants to send you money. Yeah, you know, <laughs> if anyone wants to send us money, let us know. Uh, I would definitely recommend doing it through the campaign, though. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to get you free money. I know, but you know, because it's regulated, we actually can't accept them. Oh, really? Because yeah. you're yeah. going yeah. through yeah. a legitimate route? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, we All can right, only we'll just... accept money through the campaign right now. Huh. Uh-huh. Unless you're selling Unless we're selling product, yeah. But yeah, because we've had, you know, other folks who are like, well, if I want to invest this, what do I do? And I was like, we're, you know, we're by the book. I work in compliance. So, (laughs) you know, uh, we absolutely cannot accept. Obviously, it would be wonderful. But again, it's like we wouldn't want anyone to to just directly give us money when they can also yeah. get an investment. So All right, scratch that. Just go to meinvest.com <laughs> or jo- uh, wait, what is Let me give Joy you Joy Beer Company.com. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that is not the right website that I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, joyhelmbeercompany.com. I say the website I prefer, I think because you can get to all of our things from there. We have our social media link there. We have the Mainvest uh, campaign link there. Um, we have really cool pictures of Alfred looking cool. (laughs) (laughs) We have all of our can art, which is beautiful. I think, uh, Oba was what, uh, you brought with you last time. Yeah. That was the story I loved. That's one of my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, Those Benin's bronze artwork is just amazing Mm -hmm. and it really pops on the label. Create something which stands out unique. Yep. Yep. And also, you know, our father is Oba, according to him. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I just, the whole, the whole story was great. Yeah. 
Um, so what, uh, what is the plan for the tap room? Do you already have, do you have ideas for the location already? Or is that something you'll do once the investment cycle has been completed? Um, yeah, we've already started looking, we've already started looking at location specifically. We've already started looking at location in Pigtown, um, the Southern Baltimore brewing district, upcoming brewing district. Um, we are keeping our, our eyes and our minds open because obviously, you know, look, there's there can be great locations anywhere throughout the Baltimore area. So, in um, DC. yeah, in Baltimore, DC <laughs> area. Sounds like someone uh, prefers DC over Baltimore. I don't I know. Yeah. I live in DC. Okay. <laughs> I can't stand Baltimore. So I'm on her side. <laughs> I, I, I love Baltimore. It's an amazing I'm, city. I love Baltimore too. I, I do. I lived, uh, I went to Towson university okay. for, for grad yeah. school. So I lived outside of Baltimore for a while. See, she went to grad school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bet, Awkward. bet your parents are proud of her. Oh. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I'm just I used to be a scientist. You know? <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, we are definitely looking in both Baltimore and D.C. Okay. Uh, I am partial to D.C. I think it's harder to survive as a brewery in D.C. probably, though. You think so? I think so. Yeah, I think so. It's well, just like it, it a depend- tiny bit more expensive. Well, it's so not, that, that's it's not the, just that, the that's the problem with DC. To be in an area that you want to be in is very expensive. Uh, to be in an area you can afford is not an area that you're going to get people to come to regularly to enjoy your brewery. Yeah. But the fun thing about DC is that you know. Um, I don't know. It, it is. It's a different. Uh, it's. It's once you're in there, it's very different from what you expect. I think people, um, you know, the areas that they're trying to build up right now, people are really welcoming it. You know, yeah. the residents, and so I think that really helps. Um, and DC is trying to do a really good job of um, keeping the diversity in economic status. Right, so they have laws in place and things like that. Instead so, of trying to just gentrify a, yeah. a neighborhood, and I mean, obviously, you know, it's not; it doesn't always work out. Yeah, uh, but they, at least they, they have put things in it. Like what you just meant, I didn't yeah. know that. That they, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. There's are, like definitely there's they, uh, laws about. There's been thought been put into yes, it instead of yes. just, especially in like you know the more historic. Uh, areas where, you know, gentrification was a, a lot slower, like Anacostia, you know, so southeast, northeast, those yeah. areas, they're trying to preserve and uh, sustain the people who are from there. Um, uh, because unfortunately, when gentrification started, they really drove out a lot of yeah, uh, DC residents. Make well, usually the first step is raising the taxes beyond what anyone who already lives food there deserts. can. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the so I'm guessing that's what the the laws are addressing, like mm-hmm. preventing those yep. those early steps that yep. that are usually taken. Yeah, from- and they they actually just introduced uh, a a new program I think last year or earlier this year w- to help people pay their property taxes. Okay, and things like because you know that's what a lot of investors were doing. They were coming in and, yeah. and getting properties because people couldn't afford the taxes anymore. And I I mean I think that's despicable. Um, but uh, I just I appreciate that they're at least being mindful yeah. of what it takes to to sustain people's um, 
uh, ability to stay in the city. Yeah, because like property taxes usually are the first step to pushing out a- any of the the people who have lived there often for generations. Yep, exactly. It, it's wild some of the stories I've heard, but yeah, that's part of why you know, like I was saying before, for us, we want to be an asset to our community. Yeah. You know, we want to be a place where we're actually hiring folks who live there, yeah. you know, that would be our preference yeah, um, I think and engaging the community. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know anything firsthand. It's just from what I've heard from talking to people who've run breweries in DC or is that it's the, the main problem is that to be able to afford it, the areas where, there, there are other things that people are going to there for has just gotten so out of control yeah. and being an island of of like a consumer facing business. Yeah. It's really hard to get people to go to there just for you. Exactly. Yeah. But also you just think about transportation and like if people are coming yeah. and having beers, we want people to be able to safely escort yeah, you themselves want, home. You want to be yeah. on one of the metro lines yeah. or yeah. at least within a few block walking distance where Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so that's one of the things that we're trying to be mindful of is like uh, accessibility again, seriously. Yeah. Um, we want people to be safe and um, to be thoughtful and mindful when they're coming um, coming and going. So we're trying to do that for them, right? Um, I think that's really a priority for us. So that does, you know, like you said, it does uh, impact cost, right? But I think it's worth it. Although I would, uh, in Frederick... Uber and Lyft can suck sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. You'd be waiting forever. Yeah. But I'm betting Baltimore and D.C. are probably oh, yeah, much more readily available yeah. Than, yeah. than in the Frederick area. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's interesting. I think in D.C. sometimes it's funny because I feel like, am I competing against people ordering food? Oh, <laughs> that is actually... Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think I never that's really been... thought about that. That's probably what has made it so much harder to yep. get a, 100%. A, a ride in in Frederick. Is that most of the people are driving Uber Eats or mm-hmm. Grubhub or any of the? Yeah, because I, I don't. I and I, I never use any for... of those, so I don't like. I I oh, don't think about it. Me I've... either. Not like every day. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't use it this morning. I'm way <laughs> too cheap to pay someone to bring me a meal. And that's purely the only, I'm only, I'm slightly less, I'm slightly more cheap than I am lazy. That's hilarious. <laughs> you and know what? That ratio matters, yeah, that's, right? That's the only reason. Like, if, if that slips just a little bit, I also <laughs> will be grub hubbing or Uber eating every meal. That's hilarious. <laughs> well, thankfully, with one of my credit cards, I get free DoorDash membership, right? Um, but, you know, in D.C., the funny thing is I think it's really popular because parking sucks. Yeah. And, right? well, and that's the thing. Like, so you think about that. Like, yeah. you're going to spend, like, you might end up getting a $35, $50 ticket. So you might as well yeah. pay. I have bucks. just irrational anxiety around parking. <laughs> it, it, like, oh man! If if I'm going somewhere I've never been before, the amount of anxiety I have over driving so there is it it's it's basically a phobia. Um, I have a friend like that too. If that makes you feel better, she was slightly that recently. Better. Yeah, I, mean, I still know it's a problem. I should probably work through, but hey, we all have them. <laughs> but like, I don't have to work like in Frederick. Pretty much anywhere you want to go to has a parking lot, or if it's 
downtown. It, there's yeah. a parking garage within a few blocks. Yeah, that is so really nice about Frederick. Yeah. So I don't, like, I don't have that friction that makes me want to. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure if I lived in a, a real city, uh, <laughs> then I probably would be using it a lot because I would be scared to death about parking. Yeah. I wouldn't want to give up the parking spot I have at my house <laughs> to then be worried about I was going to get a parking spot wherever I was going and then just would pay someone and to bring me stuff. And there's not a ton of free parking in D.C. Yeah. Right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, they've turned a lot of the, like, if you're not in that zone, you have to find the right kind of parking. If you don't find the right kind of parking, D.C. makes it Lots of money off of tickets. <laughs> okay. I went to Snallygaster for the very first time this year, mm-hmm. and my irrational anxiety towards parking was one of the main reasons that I have never been to to it previously. Interesting. <laughs> and even though it's really not that hard to get to D.C., I don't go there nearly as often as I should living so close to it mm-hmm. because in my mind it's impossible to get to. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. But you, I mean, I guess from Frederick you have to like drive a significant different distance to even get to the Metro, but I mean, it's still not that far. I'm just yeah. irrational about it. Yeah. No, I mean, like I said, we all have our yeah. things. <laughs> so I just stay in Frederick. It's easier that way. But I mean, we, Frederick has a great, yeah, like, we, I mean, there's so many, there's, I love Frederick. Is so. everything I need here. Yeah. <laughs> Except for an Uber, if I need it, oh, then, you, then who knows how long uh, you're going to be waiting. That's funny. I mean, Frederick's great because it, it, it's very modernized, but it still has a historic feel to it, which is great. Yeah, I mean, down, it's kept the aesthetic. The downtown yeah, area they've done as yeah. much as I dislike the, his, the historical society. <laughs> they have done a great job <laughs> of keeping the, the city with its charm. Yeah, um, you, you mean and, their job? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I, and I, I love Frederick. I talk about that too much, so we'll move on. (laughs) So what, uh, do you already have an idea of like, um, size wise for what you want? Like just physical location, like physical aspects of the tap room. And then like what size brew house you want to have and fermenters and everything. Is that planned out? Um, yeah, so it's it's gonna be a nano brewing system, okay. something you know around like a three and a half barrel size for producing our in-house brews. We want to continue uh, getting the con uh, the the products that we're producing under contract. We want to continue okay. producing those under contract. Um, the tap room brewing system is gonna be for producing you know the tap room in-house exclusives, the, you know the beers that you can only get if you come to us physically. So the Distribution, stick with how you're doing it now, yep. and then just add on the aspect of a tap room. And um, yeah, we're we're trying to grow in a very smart way. Um, we we want to grow step by step and really give our times to both learn and expand and, and do so in a way which is profitable at every step. Yeah, which I mean, that's smart. Because <laughs> that is uh, definitely on the list of uh, things that were not followed for any place that has unfortunately closed over the last few years. Yeah, un- unfortunately, there's uh, been a lot of them. And, you know, we definitely read about it every time, you know, these uh, sad circumstances occur. Um, definitely want to learn from everything. 
and combine that with the experience that, you know, we've gained from running this company in the time that we have so that we can, you know, build everything up, make it great, make it a success. Have, have you found any issues with entering, um, the, the market being a black owned company? Cause I, I, you hear that mm-hmm. a, a lot, um, for other parts of the country, but I feel like Maryland is uniquely fairly diverse mm-hmm. and like I I would and I probably should just look statistic wise, but I feel like the diversity within breweries in Maryland is way higher than probably any other state. Um yeah, so I mean there's always challenges like just from like the just going out and cold calling people, meeting them face to face. Um, for the most part, people have been great. People have been receptive. I've <laughs> definitely got some looks and some comments where it's just like makes you feel some type of way. You don't know if you're being yeah. judged because of your 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 color. And like literally, one guy when I tried to you know sell beer to him, he said he asked me, "Where's your plantation?" Oh jeez! I was like, wait. He's like, well, I mean, where's your production? I was just like, I'm sorry. What did you just say to was me? That a Freudian slip. <laughs> it must have been. That's I'm just wild. like, like wow. I could. I'm like, wow. I, was like, I can feel the summer heat <laughs> when I heard that comment. Where is your plantation? <laughs> yeah, just like I so. That guy might have been a, a bit of a bigot. <laughs> No, I don't. I, mean, he I think you could remove Mike him. from there. Yeah, I'm pretty like, sure you could. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you could yeah. remove that. Yeah. That's wild. People like are you're awful. so bigoted that like yeah. you, things just flow yeah. from your mouth. It's no. literally just just at the top of his mind. That's insane. Uh, also, but like it's modern times. Like, the, why is plantation on his mind? You know, <laughs> I so many questions. If you're gonna be racist, would, at least yeah, she's a modern. Yeah, right? like at least be a modern racist. What the hell? What is wrong with him? It's wild. Please tell me your response was telling him where your plantation was. I just <laughs> my plantation's located in Baltimore. It's in, it's in Mississippi, actually. I mean, so like with that, just I I had the I had other accounts to get through that day. I'm just like yeah, I just need a I need to pass this energy and just move on <laughs> but you know it's funny oh, because yeah. uh you know we we were both born in the south um alfred probably doesn't remember it as much as i do but um it is really interesting like you know dc and maryland and virginia are the south despite what people think sometimes but uh and you can tell when you go to the north but it, it's you know being in the mid-atlantic it's very interesting how people here try to separate themselves um, from, you know, this concept of being bigoted or racist or, you know, any sort of ism or ist, right? Yeah. Um, because we are so intelligent, right? Intelligence doesn't negate. Oh, no, there's plenty of bias yeah. in intelligent people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's just like basically then saying, okay, everyone in the South is stupid. Exactly. Which is obviously not true. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the thing. Thank you for recognizing yeah. that. Because that's, that's and it's it's interesting because, you know, uh, growing up in Mississippi, like, 
honestly, I I felt some I feel sometimes more comfortable there in terms of race than here. And that's really wild to think about. Because it's less it, they're overt. They're honest. Yeah. Yes, yeah. They're you, know, honest. you know exactly yeah. where yeah. some like the plantation con men is in yeah. a Freudian sl- yeah. something that yeah. slipped out. They're they just don't gonna be gaslight you, yeah. in other words. <laughs> not, right? not, not only are they honest with you, they're honest with themselves. They don't 100%. they don't like you they're, and they know that about yes. themselves. They know damn well that they're racist. <laughs> yeah. and they don't they're care. not they pretending. just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> It, you that know makes, what? That it, makes sense. It, it's wild, me. right? Because yeah. transparency and honesty, yeah. like you take it for granted when it comes to things like that, but it's much easier to deal with and to and to actually know where you stand, uh, to know who you're actually dealing with. People here hide. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So you, like you're never you don't have to guess what someone is thinking or intentions. They're just going to tell you. One hundred percent. Or you just know you're not welcome there. Yeah, that right? makes sense. Instead of getting there and getting the you know the rigmarole and and being you know run around the bush and you're exhausted. Yeah. Right. You're trying so hard to get something that you just will never have access to. That makes and a lot of it, sense. It is, yeah. It's frustrating, right? Um, Did so, that guy at least buy some beer? No. Uh, no. Yeah, so. You know what? Maybe we maybe we should go and interview him and ask him why he asked yeah. about our plantation. Um, but yeah, so it like is. in Mississippi, you just would have known. Don't go there. Yeah. They would They <laughs> there actually, probably would have been something. But did Alfred already tell you about our grandfather? No. Oh, yeah. So, you know, funnily enough, I can give you an anecdotal, anecdotal story to, to kind of tell you how that is. You know, um, our mother's grandfather uh, actually uh, used to brew beer, and he also would make moonshine, all right, or hooch, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that was down in Mississippi. He actually owned like a something like a 50 acre farm um, out uh, down there, which unfortunately we don't really have much of anymore. Um, But in his town, right? Like obviously he was black Um, and he would, you know, because it was illegal uh, or because he was competing with the the white um, uh, beer salesman, right? Uh, He would often be put in jail. Right. For, for what for, he for, was doing. Yeah. But do you know why he would get out of jail? Because he would give him beer. Because oh. <laughs> the sheriff and all those folks loved his beer. The judge, too. The judge, too. So and it's, 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 it's interesting, right? Because on one hand, he's being punished for that craft. And on yeah. the other, he's being, uh, ex, uh, you know, accepted and, and um, actually protected in a way. Right. And that's the conundrum of the South. Right. The, yeah, there was there was never really anything about, oh, you, you're not allowed to do this because you're black, but they're going to punish you for it while also rewarding you yeah. for it. But as long as you're good enough at mm-hmm. it, then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's like this weird conundrum of acceptance. You should use that story more in your in Joyhound story. <laughs> we will. Yeah. There definitely should be a, a beer themed around that. Yeah. Maybe we'll call it prohibition. <laughs> but um 
Yeah, it, it is really, I mean, also prohibition. You still feel that in this country. It's wild. All of the laws around alcohol. Oh, yeah. There's... I thought it was legal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Only within a narrow. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah, but that, you know, that is, you know, kind of the thing that I was talking about. Like, he knew where he stood. He knew how to get out of that situation. He knew what he had to do here. There were clear, clear yeah. parameters in mm -hmm. place that he yeah. knew how to how yeah. to work within. Yeah, and it was consistent. That <laughs> makes a lot of sense. It's wild, yeah. but it does, right? And so, you know, whereas here, you know, you'll just be locked out of the club. Yeah. It, it's it's really interesting, you know. Um, we when we were at Brew Brown Live um, a couple weeks ago um, in Marina del Rey, California, um, I was really happy that we had an opportunity to actually attend. You know, the conference aspect of it because there's so many brilliant people sharing. You know, their experiences and you know all of these different concepts and ideas about what it means to be in this business, right? And they had a panel of um, African-American uh, brewers who really were talking about, um, I don't know if you've heard of the 8 trillion um, project. Oh. It's really cool. So their objective is to kind of provide, um, uh, you know, funding and access and uh, support to uh, black brewers throughout the country. And they are, you know, in collaboration with the newly founded um, National Black Brewers Association as well. Um, one of them sits on the board for the MB2A. Um, and one of the things that they were talking about was allyship, right? And it was, you know, in what I do, so I do the protection of human subjects and research, right? So allyship is something that is not a foreign concept to me, accessibility, you know, um, um, and, and all of that uh, equity, right, inclusion. But what, what really is equity and what really is accessibility, right? Well, it's like that, uh, I'm not sure if you've seen those memes about it where they have the people standing, they're trying to look over a fence and you know, they have the boxes that they're standing on and they each get an equal heighted box, right? But the shortest person still can't see. I think, yeah, I've seen right? that, yeah. And really it's about equity, right? Where you actually give that person a box that's tall enough to actually see over the fence. That's what it's like for us, right? You know even though sometimes the door is open, someone gives us the box, it's not the right height, right? So, you know, I, I bring that in to kind of summarize what they were talking about and in like helping people to understand what really equity is and especially thinking about black businesses. On average, African-American families do not even have 30% of the wealth of the average white family in America. So we're already starting at a deficit. So really allyship is not just about, you know, supporting and, and being vocal. Put your money where your mouth is. Actually invest in black businesses. Actually support black businesses. Black products benefit all. Yeah. Right. You think about the impact of African-Americans on American culture. Come on. 
that well, yeah, <laughs> they, they, I don't think there's an aspect of um, any part of culture that people enjoy that doesn't have roots in. If you're being honest, yeah. right, right, and, and and that's beautiful, right? Like I think that's something. It's just so interesting how it's become so contentious instead of people just leaning into the beauty of connectedness, right? Um, And so I think that was really interesting to me where they were talking about not only providing opportunity, but giving people your time and your money, right? And, And it doesn't mean just like go and give handouts, right? It just means like, we're running a crowdfunding campaign. Actually invest in it. If yeah. you believe that black brewers should have access to this market, invest in us. Put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, the the first time um, where I heard like the aspect of like to your point about the the wealth uh, disparity where like it was pointed out that uh, most black families had a, a generations of uh white families had generations of a head start of wealth building yeah. compared to a, a new a, it's not that f- far in the past where I mean, I can you couldn't you, legally right? build wealth yes yeah. i mean redlining yeah. right people talk about that but let me even make uh, it more what about your, the house you used to you own remember oh my gosh yeah that was wild it, well, it was a so the first ha- i bought a house in silver spring back in 2015 and when i was going to do the titling process you know cuz they do like a, a oh my god is it title. one of those places where there were still laws on the books about it was in the cuz they can't get rid of it in the original deed it stated that if you had some percentage of negro blood that you were not allowed to own this property. And that was in Hyattsville, Maryland, one of the blackest areas of Maryland. <laughs> no. Now you can Please that. tell me that that's not enforced anymore though. Of course not. That's illegal. Yeah. Absolutely not. Absolutely but not. Yeah, I, I can't I think it was like this But it was uh, so specific. Yeah. I I I'd seen like that but there it's not even just on deeds. There are places where like it's still laws within like small towns yeah. that obviously aren't it, like well, aren't follow well, but there probably are some places. Yeah. But <laughs> so in, <it> was <laughs> Most of the time, yes. <laughs> it's just something sitting there that no one has taken the the effort to have it removed. Yes. But like, that is that's insane. Well, it was I mean, it's wild not, to read, right? Yeah. Like because you know those things, but it's another thing to actually like see, see it that had been in practice by used. an attorney. Yeah, that put that language in that deed, and it will sit that way for the rest of eternity. Because they can't remove it. It has to stay because on the, record. Like the original deed can't yes. be changed. Yes. Wow. Yes. It's crazy. And, you know. And it, isn't that just a slap in the face, though? Just ha- like that reminder. Every time yeah. that property changes hands, like, oh, by the way, this country has a pretty bad. I mean, I guess in a, I, I mean, there's the whole like if you forget history you're doomed to repeat it like, well, yeah. standpoint but still like that's i mean our you know our mom actually like you know she's both like alfred said both of them have both of our parents have phds but they're you know both of them are teachers 
And my entire life, you know, my mom always was, you know, teaching us random lessons about America. And, you know, one of the things that she actually brought to my attention, because her father um, was was in the military. He actually was, uh, um, he was like special ops. Uh, He did really cool stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, when the GI Bill was introduced, right, you know, that uh, that that was actually one of the ways that a lot of white families built wealth in this country because it allowed them to buy property. Do you know why that's Uh, significant? Because it probably was not open to the black soldiers. Crying out loud. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I want to so say like yes, but it's not like when the GI Bill like was it's... introduced, none of the black soldiers were allowed to use it. Did they have some uh, hidden way that they, or just specifically it, it was... said that it was for white? Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you know when they went down to get their disbursement of the funds or whatever, they'd find a reason why they weren't qualified, or they yep. just outright denied yeah. them a loan, something like that. Or they say, you know, this. This area is actually, you know, not accessible to to you. Yeah. I mean, it's like the whole thing with uh, with uh, this is why I say it goes beyond the imagination. Right. Because people know about redlining. Yeah. But I think people think it's just literally red lines on a map. But what it meant was that they were denoting particular areas where they would not provide loans. Right. Yeah. So I watched the uh, I watched the thing of, uh, about that. I'm it's like, wild, right? The the amount of ways people came up with to gated community. Yeah. Like was <laughs> like it, it's just like the amount of effort put in was appalling. Yeah, and if you actually look at it, it's always just like one or two people who are just really adamantly very, very racist or sexist or whatever, and and other people just don't fight against it. Yeah, and they're in a position of power and are able to push things through that everyone else just like, oh, we'll just let them do it. Yeah, we don't understand, you know, this is just what it is, you know. Even though you know that if that happened to you, it would not rest well in your soul. Yeah. Right. And so that, you know, that was the most interesting thing to me was like the GI Bill. You actually sign up for the military. You are willing to sacrifice your life for this country and you are still denied your benefits. Especially during that time, Mm -hmm. because there were a lot of people sat like actually sacrificing their lives. If you were in the military then. Yes. I mean, I I mean, you still are now. Yes. Yes. the uh, amount of wars that we had at yeah, that time. Percentage-wise, yeah. the the people losing their lives was higher then. Yeah. It, it is really, I mean, that, that story hit different, right? Um, just thinking about that. And I, I'm not sure if they've ever gone back and tried to rectify the amount of people who didn't receive that benefit. I mean, it's not like it would be unattainable, but again, who knows? Um, but yeah, that's there's, there's just some of the ways. Like, the, people... You know, when we talk about allyship, which is, you know, one of the things that we really want to focus on and like even for ourselves. Right. Um, because both of our parents are highly educated. We've had much op- more than Alfred. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I, I only I only pick on the people I like. Yeah. I'm telling you, you know what's funny about Alfred is I always have told him our whole lives, and you know he he doesn't uh, probably remember. I always tell him that he's the smartest one. You know, and uh, he's much smarter than me. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I think. Obviously, because I work for the man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and he convinced us to start this company. But you know, I uh, I don't know. It's, it's it's really been interesting to realize even the privilege in education, right? And intelligence, um, and access to information and knowledge, and and not being afraid of knowledge, right? I mean, for us at dinner time the custom was to have a topic that we would all discuss and present our view on, you know, like that's how our parents raised us. So like for, for me, I love research. I love exploring new concepts and things like that. And, and I think there's a privilege in that. I don't have a fear of not knowing things. Right. I, because I realize, I think Alfred's probably the same way that anything I don't know, I can find out. Yeah, if you don't know it, it's a you don't know it yet. Yeah, not exactly. Um, so I yeah. think that's one of the things that like we want to bring to the table is like sharing that with other people. Um, I mentor you know young professionals and things like that, and that's one of the things that I really try to stress with them is just being open to what you don't know. That's the best way to learn. It's the best way to grow as a human being. So. You know, that's one of the things that I think we really want to to bring to people. And so I encourage Alfred and he's really excited about, you know, the opportunity to mentor other, you know, young folks, uh, hopefully a lot of young black folk who want to learn about brewing. They want to learn about the science and the art of brewing. And, you know, that's what we're here for. We want to do things like that and, and introduce this this opportunity to other people in our community. So you you talk about diversity and inclusion with the tap room and stuff. How how do you do that? What is the like what does that mean? What do you do to make it more inclusive to It means uh highlighting the role of minorities who have in doing, you know, science, technology, engineering, art, math uh in our country, specifically in our local area. It means, um, you know, giving them a space where others can learn about them. It means promoting them. It means doing local events that are centered around these things so that we can build um, interest in the, in the community, both within our fan base and, you know, anyone who happens to come by and, and partake in these events. It means also um, recognizing that you have to create uh, beers which fit everyone's palate because different communities have different desires, different flavor um, expectations. And you really want to be creating products which appeal to everyone, which is something, well, well you want to create, you want to have a, a um, portfolio which has something for everyone. Um, you want to create products which will reach out and, you know, touch people, or which will connect with people um, on a personal level and create an experience for them that makes them think, you know, craft beer is for me also. Not which just is, bearded white guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you, you see a lot of, you know, breweries which will incorporate, you know, hip hop lyrics and R&B and stuff like that. 
but you don't really see them trying to, you know, do any sort of flavor profiles, which will appeal to the people who actually created that content. Exactly. Exactly. That's a good point. I do. uh, Their full tilt did that at least once Mm -hmm. because I know that they use, do you know Philip Pilgrim at all? He's at art nail on Instagram. He did all their artwork. The, the beer that they did with him, mm-hmm. um, he he chose the f- flavor profiles, and they were all based on like where he's from, mm-hmm. and the, that that was always heavily sour soft inspired. And oh, that sounds really good. Oh, it was mm-hmm. it was a really really good beer. Man, yeah. made a really funny video for mm-hmm. when it came out. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. Yeah, it'd be kind of cool for us, like you know, like Alpha was saying, is like kind of. Uh, including other uh, markets or, you know, communities and groups of folks um, to, to make them know or let them know that, you know, beer is for anybody. Right. Um, and, you know, one of the things I that when we were doing research about, um, you know, Nigeria, because our father's from Nigeria, I think you mentioned that. Yeah. Um, not this not this time of the oh, first okay. time when, he, when we were talking about the, the Oba. Oba. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, one of the the reasons I was really interested in looking into that is because actually when I was in Dublin, Ireland, I was told at the Guinness factory that the largest Guinness factory is actually in Nigeria. And I was like, what? They drink more, uh, the, uh, what is it called? Like the foreign, the foreign foreign extra extra stuff. Yeah. 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 They, I, I think they drink more, Guinness there than anywhere else in the world, if yes. I remember yes. correctly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Nigerians yep. love yeah. Guinness. <laughs> and and so, and right? stouts. Anything <laughs> anything better Nigerians yeah. love. Yeah, it's really it, that was I also found that fascinating. Right? Did you know there's three Guinness factories in Nigeria? I did not know that. Yeah. Not and only the largest, but the most. Yeah. That, that there's more than there are in the U.S. then. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> and uh, another cool fact, actually, was that our dad's mom actually was a distributor for Guinness in Nigeria. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. She was so a cool lady. deep roots. In, yeah. Uh, so you're not blazing uh, paths. Oh, I am. I am. I'm, follow- I'm following up in her footsteps. She was, yeah. she was an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. But, the, but I mean, the, like, it's in your blood. Yeah. yeah. But, like, yeah. literally, because yeah. we didn't even know that before he started doing this thing. Uh, did... Were, like were then no stories just told or yeah they, like yeah. our parents yeah. told us after we had started the business and yeah. we were like wait what that's so cool yeah. right like that's like deep rooted in your veins bro at least you <laughs> won't have to uh, worry about bribing a judge in the <laughs> yeah in, in the sheriff's Hopefully with not. your beer to get out of jail yeah. for brewing yeah. <laughs> but our dad's mom if you make really moonshine cool. you might still get arrested yeah I think you will <laughs> that one yeah, don't do that yeah <laughs> but yeah our our dad's mom was awesome. Like she owned, I mean, she was a lady in Nigeria. Um, also, she gave up her position as chief to be with our grandfather. Uh, and, um, you know, she she owned her own business and she was profitable and obviously very good at it. She worked for Guinness, yeah. you know, as mm-hmm. a as a distributor. And, and that was her business for a while. And then, you know, she ran a store. You know, she was she was a smart business lady. So I think this was Alfred's fate in yeah. that way, right? Like that that it was coursing through his veins. 
<laughs> All right, maybe you're not a disappointment then. Mm, I, I try. I try not to be. <laughs> no, we're yeah. super proud of him. You know, when he when he came up with this idea after leaving Tufts, um, you know, obviously that was rough, right? Because our parents, like I said, they're both PhDs, they're both scientists. Can you imagine going to your scientist parents and being like, um, I'm not going to actually pursue that PhD? Yeah, that's what, it was one of the things I asked <laughs> yeah. him. Like, how, how did that conversation go? <laughs> well, thankfully, he has very supportive siblings. <laughs> so, you know, and I hope he mentioned that he has a twin brother, Julius. And he did not. Why are you this way? Oh, this <laughs> We're getting to the family part ah, later. Yes. Ringing up. <laughs> <laughs> so his twin brother and I helped him kind of strategize. And, you know, I told him, I was like, you got to be serious about this thing. So he put together a proposal. So which super smart thing does your brother do? Oh, uh, <laughs> our Alfred's twin, yeah. he is a computer scientist. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So he, <laughs> he codes and all of that. Yeah. And our eldest brother, you know, he's more of the art side of things. He's an entrepreneur, but like, my God, he's so particular in the way that, so he actually flips homes in the Chicago area. Okay. So that's why you likely won't see very much of him because he lives far away um but so he's still he, in chicago mm-hmm. yeah i love chicago it's such I, a so great do we city. Yeah. I, we do too there's a guinness there now no way it uh opened recently it's kind of uh-huh. like the one in baltimore where it's a small mm-hmm. like innovation brewery with a tap okay. room attached to it that's very mm-hmm. cool mm-hmm. they're just following us I guess. yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so he flips historic homes in the chicago area so okay. we're like super proud of like the work he's done to restore that city, you know, and it, and it's cool to hear about. I feel like I need to contact your parents to get some parenting tips from them <laughs> to help like, guide my kids to being successful. <laughs> I mean, our parents are just super engaged, yeah. you know, our entire lives. Um, like I said, like dinner time, we they actually. You know, looking back on it, they never were just like, oh, you're just kids, you know, like they they spoke to us. They had conversations with us. You know, they helped us to broaden the way that we thought about the world. And that was really important to them. Um, you know, they're, and it's also interesting because they are like uh, balances of each other. You know, our dad is definitely more like the serious, you know, physical scientist guy. But like. The reason that he does what he does, which is genetic epidemiology, I'm sure everyone knows exactly what that is. Yeah, without it, I mean, <laughs> I mean, there might be one or two people you also explain that to, but <laughs> so basically, he looks at, um, uh, you know, bas- so epidemiology is the study of uh, trends in a way, right? So like they're looking at health disparities and things like that within particular populations. Um, and how, uh, you know, the link with your genetic profile and things like that. That's the easiest way for me yeah. to explain it. Um, so basically, you know, when you hear, sorry, when you hear about epidemiology, it's really just uh, trends analysis of science, right? Um, so, you know, he's more in that scope, but, um, you know, he's an avid, like, bike rider. Oh, my God. We've had to tell him not to try to ride on Route 70 before, this guy, <laughs> this guy, 
but he loves to travel you know he loves experiencing other cultures things like that and our mom is really like the craftsy one so the headband and the shirts that we're wearing our mom made those <laughs> she makes all of our merch actually it's really cool and it all looks amazing um and you know she sings she plays guitar you know we all play uh alfred played the trumpet i played the clarinet and the saxophone so did i really i played so did Julie. I played the clarinet the <laughs> bass clarinet and the baritone sax nice yep wow. and tenor sax yep. depending on which we should uh, start a band yeah i do not remember how to do anything <laughs> and if you want to start a really bad band i could be in on that i mean that, there's but. room for all kinds right <laughs> um and yeah so like and i you know trained in opera for a little while and you know, so we are, you know, we really embody the concept of STEAM. That's why we're like, we have to let people know. I, you know, I guess we could technically say the engineering, maybe we don't have that much, but it depends on how you define it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> With um, the computer science. I was going to say, I mean, computer science thing, yeah. is solidly in yeah, engineering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, so we really like, you know, like, you all are a bunch of overachievers. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a loser over here no, right now. No. <laughs> we're, we're just we're just regular down to earth people. Literally though, I'm like I'm. We're bookworms. We're bookworms. Are, like everybody apparently except for our father is introverted. <laughs> Did you know Dad got uh, an E on the Myers Briggs? I was like, who? What are you? <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, we, and we really are a close knit family, like sincerely, you know, I, I, that's why it was so important for us to like, to, to really push forward as a family owned, a black family owned business, yeah. right? Because you're going to see our family there. Yeah. Um, yeah, just to touch more on the fact about being a black-owned family business, and the, which we've gotten a great reception from that from everyone. Everyone's excited about that. Um, when we do uh, tastings, as I said previously, we do tastings all the time. You know, when people see that it's a black-owned business, first of all, there's genuine excitement there because a lot of people, you know, they really are interested um, in allyship and seeing, you know, uh, more expansion of entrepreneurship, more capital, more businesses being owned by minorities in this country. So on the flip side, that's been a huge, um, you know, benefit for us both in terms of people wanting to be interested in being willing to try our product when we came out when we were new, but also in uh, helping others learn about this because, you know, there's a lot of people they are like, Oh, what? There's a, there's a brewery that's owned by black people. I'm telling everyone <laughs> about it. So that's a great aspect of it too. Well, I think like, <clears throat> I think what's not thought of often is like beyond it just being the right thing to do, <laughs> like the, from a diversity standpoint, <laughs> there's selfish benefits from, diverse opinions and thought processes and dynamics where things are just better when you're like, not everyone is thinking the same way. Absolutely. When there are uh, other ideas brought into the mix, it's, it's never a bad thing. 100%. I mean, I guess unless that person is awful and bringing bad ideas in, <laughs> yeah. but generally, but generally, <laughs> but even actually there's benefit to the bad ideas, well, right? Because true, then you can identify the bad idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? good, good point. Yeah. 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 So I, it's never bad <laughs> to have, as long as there's someone like 
there's good people at the helm to make yeah. sure he can identify yes. which ones. Are exactly. The- yeah. Exactly. And, and that's the thing, you know, that's the thing with being a scientist too, right? Is like, it's so funny because like, you know, in science, there is no like hard truth. You know that that is the truth in that moment. And that anytime you get new information, that that truth may actually change. Yeah. Right. Which is really hard for people to accept as so we saw we during the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. We were yeah. like, you remember when you were in school and they told you about theories? There were so many damn times when you would hear that argument. Like, because that's how science works. Mm-hmm. Like you, you got you, you have what you find mm-hmm. and then you keep studying. And then sometimes what you thought was wrong, but and you found a better answer. Yes, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it, it is really interesting. That's how science works. But people want finite <laughs> yeah. answers. Yeah. Right. And if, if it changes, it just means that you, you're wrong. You're or you're manip- yeah. That's what, yeah. Or like it's nefarious instead yes. of just how the scientific process works. That's why it's called that. (laughs) Yeah. It's really unfortunate, but you know, we can, we still have an opportunity to do better. Right. (laughs) Um, you know, gen alpha, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I don't Um, don't have much hope for younger generations. Really? Have you met many of them? (laughs) They had a hard time though. You know, they were, their, their, their pinnacle socialization times are happening during the pandemic. Um, so we just need to hug them more. Yeah. That's my solution. Honestly, that's my solution to a lot of things. Um, but I just think it, it is, uh, you know, really interesting. Also thinking about, um, you know, something Alfred said made me think about uh, a point that they made during that uh, presentation that I was talking about. Um, and now I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> We have gone down several rabbit holes and windy tangents. But I feel like it was a very good conversation. So it wasn't for not. Yes. Uh, Now I'm just trying to stall time for you to think of. Jamie. Jamie. (laughs) Well, you know, it was related to the the concept of the 8 trillion um, project. And so that came to be actually because of an an op-ed that came out a few years ago where they actually stated that if we invested in black businesses in the success of black businesses. Can you guess how much money it would add to the American economy on a yearly basis? Um, let me do some quick math. 8 trillion. Yeah. Yes. You guess? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that wild? Yeah. That's crazy. That our isms and biases, yeah. right? <laughs> and it was like the business case for racial equity. If you're interested in reading about it, it is wild when you think about the fact that is shutting that na- is that the name of the op-ed, mm-hmm. the business case mm-hmm. for okay, mm-hmm. I will look that up. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is really interesting because you know we often are short-sighted in in thinking about what it means to close the door for someone. It means that you close the door for yourself too. And the other thing, this is what it was that I remember now is they were talking because actually I think maybe you said it, Chris, where you were talking about. Um, you know, the selfish aspect of business, right? And they actually even mentioned the fact that if you support a black brewer and you get someone new in that community or whatever community to go out and try a beer, they're not going to only try that one beer. Yeah. Right? You're helping your business, right? Anytime you help someone else to build a good thing, you're helping them build a good thing 
not just for them. That's what like one of the things I've always thought and said was that <clears throat> like you don't have to lose for other people to win. Exactly. Yeah. It's not like, a zero sum game. Yeah. Yes. Like, there can, there can be a lot of winners. Like yes. that just cuz someone else is winning doesn't mean you're losing. Yes. Honestly, a lot of times if the people next to you are winning, you're more likely to win. Statistically, yeah. Yes. Yep. Like you <laughs> winning is infectious and yes. like it's easier to win when you're with winners. Yes. <laughs> because it's a vibe. You think about it, right? Uh, like when you think about uh, the health outcomes, for example, right? They've proven that if you have people who are cheerleading you and if you're cheerleading yourself, you have a greater chance of a positive outcome. That's true in life. Yeah. Right. Because people often forget that like the spirit of that thing impacts the outcome. Right. So I, you know, that's why I said before that it's always it, like it's so important to all of us in terms of, you know, being open and sharing and all of that. Like, that's how we were raised. You know, we weren't allowed <laughs> to fight <laughs> like growing up. You know, Alvin and Jules are six and a half years younger than me, but they were like my buddies. I tried to take them all over, <laughs> all over the place with me all the time. <laughs> you know, we would, oh my God, we used to make up dances together. <laughs> but, you know, like that's that's how we were raised to collaborate and to, to lean into each other. So it's just kind of our natural state. Um, and I, I'm super corny and I believe that teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> I say that all the time because I truly, truly believe it, and that's why I said like that's such we a cringy kn- phrase. Though. Oh, but it's but, so amazing! It, Come it, on, it's accurate. It is, it is but yeah. it's cringy. It, it is something that we've I'm really make you a shirt now. Yeah. <laughs> it is really something that we've really embraced, um, just um, through Joyhound, really, because uh, I'm sure you've seen us participating in the Black Brew Movement events with, yeah. uh, you know, run by Courtney and Charles. They're amazing. You know, working with the other black breweries in the area, you know, Sankofa, Urban Garden, Black Beauty, Black Viking, Patuxent, you know, everyone, it's just been such an amazing uh, event, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. Liquid intrusion. Liquid intrusion, of course. (laughs) I was, I was, I only hesitated because I felt like I was getting the name wrong, but no, that's right. Mm -hmm. They're awesome. Have you, you, do you know them? Andrew and Jasmine, they're 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 amazing. I just had, they, they were one of the, the most fun episodes I recorded. Yeah. They're infectiously fun. Oh, I love, <laughs> yes. I love yes. Like that. Yeah. They're, they're always lifting everyone's spirits. Yes. And I don't you know. see how you could not be happy around those two. Yeah. <laughs> That's an amazing compliment. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah. Um, I think. Have we, have we covered everything that? Because I, so. uh, I I almost feel bad rolling into our next segment with you two, where I just ask stupid questions. Why? Um, um, I don't know. Because I feel like the two of you are so much smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I think we've done everything. Yeah. And we talked about. Um, oh, you know Science, what? family, the accessibility piece, the thing yeah. that we left out. So, like, I will I will do this part because, you know. I think Alfred sometimes is a little bit too humble um, in that, you know, I'm sure he talked to you a bit about like marketing, sales, distribution, how he's really been 
kind of a one man show, you know, I've been, you know, kind of trying to step up and help, especially since we've been doing the campaign, because it's a lot, right, for mm -hmm. one person to do that. Because all the rest, of, you know, the rest of us have, you know, full time jobs. Um, and Alfred's full time job is Joyhound. So, um, you know, we, one of the things that like really has impressed me is like his tenacity in terms of like, so Alfred was born with uh, uh, a club foot. Yeah, club um, foot and, uh, and shortened tibia. Yeah. And the, the significance being, you know, it, it impacts his mobility, right? He actually went through an insanely painful procedure called a leg lengthening procedure. It sounds painful. Yeah, it is. I it's just like it was painful for me to even see it. What do they do? Like, is it they, they, they put they in? They broke my bone uh, and they mm -hmm. put it in a tailor frame where they had the pens in my legs and like, like four sets of pens in different locations. So like twelve at all, and my whole leg was in a frame. So like your your femur, ah, uh, the tibia. Or, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, you said the tibia. Yeah. And then and then which they is still basically, big bone, Yeah. And then they had it regrow, and then I I, I had to learn but, to walk again. Yeah. And it was. But just basically, very the premise is that you're basically re-breaking the bone over and over again to get it yeah. to lengthen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because so, it felt like to grow. Yeah, because your bone automatically cool. wants to regenerate okay. and reconnect. Mm -hmm. So it's actually a really cool concept, but painful. And so I've broken bones before, and it's soft. Yeah. So like <laughs> yeah. I can, and but none of them were quite as large as. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Fun fact: Our mom broke a, a bone for the first time on her surprise trip to Paris. Oh, that yeah, you know, really that sad sucks a for lot. her birthday. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, "Why did you go to Paris to break your arm?" Yeah, That's you could really have done weird. that at home. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, come on, you just wanted some attention. <laughs> your birthday yeah. wasn't enough. <laughs> no, I'm just yeah, that was terrible. But yeah, um, you know, and and so I really think you know. So I've talked to Alfred about it, and you know, I was like, "What keeps you going?" And he was just like, "I just want this to succeed. I just want." to not let you all down and i'm like you know i've seen him be in like immense pain because you know like he has to like carry all these beers yeah. he's like walking back and forth Beer is not light no yeah. and then also just on the on the social aspect of it like we said we're all introverts <laughs> so i do not envy him having to go to every store and be like hey like me <laughs> like me enough to try that my is, beer that's a huge part of yeah. like, relationships yeah. is probably 80 percent of yeah. the beer industry yeah. and it, it i mean that's that's really um it's it's tough when you that's not your natural dis disposition right you have to sell yourself every single time yeah. and try not to be ultra disappointed when people don't want to buy right so you know i think one of the, that's why you know we were talking about accessibility because we we're like in the gamut of it, right? One of the things Alfred really said to me uh, a couple weeks ago really highlighted was like we have to make sure that the tap room has enough space and um, you know opportunity for people of different um, ability levels, right, mm -hmm. to be comfortable. 
Yeah. Right. Because he was talking about how a lot of places they don't uh, even have like, you know, standalone stools or anything like that because they don't think about the fact that if you have uh, a mobility disability, you're going to tire out more easily. Right. Yeah. You can't just stand at the bar for 30 minutes. Right. You need something to lean on. And so we want to be, you know, really open and in, even in any way. So we're we're here if other people have suggestions about things that, you know, have that they've noticed or that have made their lives a little bit harder. I mean, cause that like that falls completely into the diversity thing yes. too, yeah. because the, those, those are things that um, unless you have a lived experience with it, you have no idea yes. that that's something that people, depending like for whatever reason, have have issues with yeah absolutely and uh, as you previously said it it's there's the social aspect to it but there's also the selfish aspect to it you know those people their money's green too (laughs) (laughs) but that's what yeah that's what we say all the time it's like why do you exclude anybody yeah that doesn't make any sense um you know it's really interesting like what you said too like I putting yourself in those shoes like that's what I have to do all the time but I still get surprised sometimes at like the blockages that I have like um, when I found out that there's actually special wheelchairs for people to go on the beach. And I was like, how have I never thought about the fact that if you're in a wheelchair, you can't just go to the beach? Because you you're not in one. Yeah. I know. Yeah. So but like it, it made me so someone. sad. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like, like I said, that's why it's important for diversity. Because yes. you're not going to think about something that you have never experienced personally. Exactly. You, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And, and you know, I don't want people to feel punished in that, right? Because we're yeah. talking about that knowledge thing. That's what I was talking about really is there's nothing wrong with not knowing. But once you do know, what yeah, do you do then, with it? Yeah. If you don't adapt yeah. with the knowledge, yeah. then that's when there's a problem. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's the thing that we have to leave room for is, is for people to learn and, and have the room to learn. So... I just say that. But yeah, I think the accessibility thing for us is like, it's really personal. God, now I feel even stupider going into my dumb question. (laughs) Why? All right, let's do this. I'm excited. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I love a dumb question. Who would win in a battle between a ninja and a pirate? Oh my God, come on. Uh, you're way too confident because I bet you're going to give the wrong answer. Com- what? How? Uh, I don't know. Just go ahead. A you pirate. Seem- oh, you yeah. got it right. Why would I see? All right. All right. All right. Oh. This is proof. Everyone who has ever argued with me, these are two of the smartest people that have ever been guests, and they just said pirate. It is obviously correct. Well, I mean, just think no, about no, it. No, if you're no, about to say pirate, it's okay. pirate. It's right. obviously pirate. But you're yeah. about to disagree. Now Yo, I'm going to kick you out. Not, not all ninjas are like. Just Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> If you, if you want me to like put my argument forward, All right. like pirates, they, they got to be sneaky sometimes too and do stealth stuff. So they've got that domain covered. But mm-hmm. like That's a great not, argument. not every that. ninja mm-hmm. is going to like for fighting in battles. Like they're usually like assassins and stuff like that. So yeah. if you got to fight a pirate straight up, they got the experience and they can do your sneaky game too. So the yeah. pirate's going to win. And they have That's guns and yeah. cannons. Yeah. yeah. They've been through stuff. I was like, ninja is too niche. Okay. Right. All right. And I, also, pirates don't have the same scruples. I mean, so. if, if that's another if one of my arguments. Yeah. If I'm allowed to be a history nerd for a second, mm-hmm. ninjas had guns too. Stop. Not, not, not <laughs> as good as the pirates. Not as many. <laughs> 
I still think the pirate would win. Okay. <laughs> okay. What is your go-to gas station snack? <sighs> yeah. Which is the one I choose to spike my blood sugar with most often? <laughs> I mean, I I just have a whole chip addiction. It's a whole problem. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anything yeah. that's like maybe like cheese puffs or Cheetos, cool anything that's Doritos. savory, salty. <laughs> <laughs> so snacks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> snacks. Snacks. If you were a NASCAR driver, who would three of your sponsors be? Oh Lord. You know, this is really messing with me because I just watched Gran Turismo and that was a really good movie. I don't know if you've seen it. I have not, but I want to. It it looked interesting. It was really good. It's on my list of what I want to watch. Yeah. Um, So I'll say Nissan. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Audi. Do you want me to just tell you what, like, the question is designed to really Uh find out? Okay. (laughs) Okay. What are three things you love? (laughs) It's more of, like, you, like, picking, like, brands or... So, am I... that's funny because that's probably why it's difficult for me because I uh, don't care about, like, money stuff. Am am I not supposed to say Joyhound or is that cheating? (laughs) I mean, if you want to be like every other guy, sure. Give the name of your brand. Stella be, and Bailey. If you want to be basic. Stella and Bailey. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I love my car, so I say Audi. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know any. Um, I'd love to be sponsored by uh, Valve, you know, the makers of Steam. Okay. Yeah. I love, oh, I'm a huge funny. gamer. Gabe Newell, please send me some money. Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just don't put Windows 11 on it. All right, I won't. <laughs> I uh, I would be sponsored by Apple. Oh, come on. You don't like Apple? Come on. We're not going to get into that. I don't want anyone to know. Oh, like, um, an iPhone sitting right in front of you. Yeah, because I'm lazy. Yeah. <laughs> no, thanks. I would I love to. lazy. <laughs> cool. Don't I just lazy, insulted sorry. myself. Come on. Uh, no, I'm not a fan of that. Of, Oh, God, Macs drive me nuts. I can't use them. They're so counterintuitive for me. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm smarter than you. See? There you go. There you go. But I'm smart enough to know this about myself. Okay. What is the largest animal that you could defeat in hand-to-hand combat? Oh, Lord. Not um, one thing. Hand-to-hand combat? <laughs> Pretend all animals have hands. Fish. So I'm a like, I'm, I'm coming at it. With, so you're saying I'm coming at this with like a spear? You, no, you do not have weapons. Oh, hand no. No weapons whatsoever. So I do not could, know how to fight. I'm a scientist. Come on now. It's not even I mean, fair. I, I think I could beat like a juvenile black bear. That's I don't know if so I could be. I don't know if I could be I'm an adult one. Black bear. I'm a. I'm a nerd. I'm a Sir, biology nerd. You are gonna get messed up. Hand to hand combat mean, with a bear. I'm gonna pass. I didn't say an adult <laughs> one. Okay. I, mean, I yes, saw the juvenile animals are actually crazier because they don't have. They have like less impulse control. Okay. No fear. Yeah. No fear. Yeah, yeah, no fear. I'm, whatever. I'm, I'm just putting it out teach there. Teach that bear a lesson. Oh, you, you know what mystical Jesus. said? You see me fighting a forest, fighting a bear in the forest. Help the bear. Lord Jesus, no, he did not. For real? I believe it was him. Lord have mercy. Okay. Would yeah. you Would you rather have feet for hands or arms for legs? Oh, 
Hmm. Arms for legs. Yeah, I, I could at least do something with that. Yeah, if you have feet for hands, <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Actually, that I saw a video like that on Instagram, and that's when I knew that I needed to get off of the internet. I know. If you could have a lifetime supply of anything, what would it be? Love. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm just corny enough to mean it. <laughs> Probably like grain, so I could make beer. <laughs> so practical and boring. <laughs> so boring to make beer. <laughs> I love making beer. Oh my god, that reminds <laughs> me. My, my friend asked me if you could do any profession in the world. Like you don't have to do what you're doing. You you have the skill to do it. What would you do? And I go, oh my god, I would be an accountant. She was, she's still angry with me to this day. I think accountants are angry at you. Well, I like math. I, just, <laughs> I like love math. God, I was excited. I was so excited. Jeez. All right, I'm looking forward to the answer to this question. Okay. Then. If you could be the best at anything in the world, what would it be? Oh, God, math. <laughs> <laughs> math or languages. Cause I'm nosy and I always want to know what other people are saying. I've always like I've always had that I'm like pro- fantasy that like, right? I know how to speak every language and just eavesdrop. Just get on knocked everyone. in the head yeah. one day and that that yeah. part of your brain gets activated. If I could be amazing at anything instantly, it'd be acting. Oh, that's a good one. Because it, it's something that we I think all of us enjoy a good story, a good play, a good movie. It gets you recognition. It's something that you can actually use all the time. It seems like it'd be fun. You can be a fun skill to just download yeah, like the say, Matrix. Like in, yeah. in, in sales, yeah. like it's a lot of that's acting. Yeah. Yeah, for real. That's a good that's a good one. Yeah. Or you was it the be, math one? Yeah, the math was okay, the good one. Yeah. So. The that acting one. Lane. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I already know What's, how to act. <laughs> <laughs> what is the worst fashion decision you've ever made? Hmm. Every haircut I've ever had before the age of thirty. <laughs> oh, no, not every single one. Every single one. Just go look at any picture of me. Oh, now I want to see pictures <laughs> of you pre-30. Mm, so what shows. were you doing? Just not getting haircuts. Oh, so it's just, <laughs> a, just a mess. Oh, yeah, <laughs> not really maintaining it. <laughs> one day I just looked at a picture I posted on Facebook. It's like, wow, that looks awful. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least one can be honest. Yeah, at least you recognized yeah. it. Yeah. I don't make poor decisions, so I don't know anything about that. Huh. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I can't think of anything in particular. I don't like, I don't know. I just like, I don't regret things I've done in the past. She's flawless like that. No, I just, what's the point of wasting my energy on that? Mm-hmm. Just meticulously detailed. If you That's were, <laughs> If you were a member of the Spice Girls, what would your name be? Mm. I think crazy spice. <laughs> There's not a hot spice, is there? Lord have no. mercy. There's I, not. I'd be hot spice. Okay. Wow. <laughs> That's awkward. Okay. I would like to leave at this time. <laughs> is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yeah, of course. Technically, yes, and that's the best kind of yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like that saying. I've never heard that before. I'm gonna. That would be a good T-shirt, also. All right, one more. If you had a pet parrot, what is the first thing you would teach it to say? I 
can't say it on this podcast. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm filtering a lot of. <laughs> okay, uh, things I can say on here that I would teach the. I don't know. Um, can I go? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I would love to have a parrot which just shouts "Sup, homie!" at people. Oh my god! <laughs> just, they, like, they just turn around like, was that the bird? <laughs> <laughs> and it All would right, be a car right. conversation starter <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. Ooh, I know. Boom, boom, ain't it great to be crazy? Mm-hmm. That's what I would do. I would teach you to sing that. Mm, yeah, a Broadway <laughs> bird. <laughs> Probably also a conversation starter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you two so much for your time today. Thank uh, you. It's been a pleasure. Yes. Uh, do you want to give a rundown real quick? Of what are the best ways for people to keep up to date with what's going on with Joy Hound and to uh, run and support the crowdfunding? Um, so definitely, I always recommend going to our website, which is www.joyhound, J-O-Y-H-O-U-N-D, beercompany.com. There you can find access to our main vest campaign page, um, a link to it. Uh, you'll also see our latest updates and links to our social media pages because we're on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or X. I think I think they X. prefer X. But oh, excuse me. He likes to name <laughs> everything X. I, what was that? I was watching something <laughs> where they... Uh, they they pointed it out like the name is X, but we all refuse. Like we we will all continue to call it Twitter. Uh, last week tonight, I, oh yeah. yes, it was. It was the it was Why the yes, it, it was the X? last week tonight yeah. about Elon Musk. Yeah, that's like calling the Sears Tower the Willis Tower. No, thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. Or Heinz Field Acrisure Stadium. No, it's Heinz Field. <laughs> thank you very much. I still was calling the Capital One Arena the Verizon Center. It, isn't that I what keep it is? <laughs> <laughs> That's that's who I am as a person. <laughs> but yeah, if you go to our website, it links you to everything. And we have our calendar of events. So you can go there and see when Alfred for sure will be there. Sometimes I pop into some of the tastings. Um, he usually has a tasting every Friday and Saturday. So if you want to try Joyhound, go out yeah. into, into one of our uh, events. Total Wine and More, December yeah. uh, 23rd, yeah. 12 to 3. Yep, yep, yep. Total Wine and, and Laurel in, and Towson. Yeah, they, I think that December 23rd is the uh, Towson one, I believe. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, it says mm-hmm. that right there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Cheers. 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 The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.